we closed with this, it might be well to open with it as well. In the visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. The world seemed to be lightened with the heavenly influence. Now, as I read this, there's a picture in my mind. It sounds like it's talking about giving Bible studies in people's homes. Could that be what that's, you know, what that's, what she envisioned? What do you think? It kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Okay. Now, we touched on this earlier, but I think it bears some re-emphasis. Does it really matter what you say? <laughs> it's a little bit of a trick question, I guess, the way I stated it. The point of why I asked the question, though, is just to emphasize there's how much power in my words. The power is in God's words. So if I want to leave something behind for the person to think about at the end of a Bible study, what might be a very good practice but to end the Bible study with what? A verse, right? A verse that maybe perhaps reinforces that commitment question that maybe I made at the end of the Bible study, right? Okay. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. How much power is in the sun? Jesus spoke it and it happened. He didn't have to add some extra power. It was the power was in the words themselves, right? God spoke to the, to the prophets, and as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, they wrote down God's words, right? Now, he didn't dictate them word for word, but, the, but it's basically God's word is what's in the Scripture. Does he have to add power to that word for it to be effective, or is it already there? It's already there. So take advantage of the power of God's word and don't fall for the idea that your hour-long Bible study should consist of three or four or five texts. Because if you're only giving three or four or five texts, what's the emphasis in terms of whose words they're hearing? It's yours. There's no power in your words. Power is in God's word. So shall my word be go, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Um, he asked me not to go over this way too far, and I just now re realized I haven't been paying attention, so I'll try to stay here. And can you remind me if I get too far over that way? I don't go over that way because there's all these obstacles, but all right, thank you for doing that. So the power is in God's word, and he says that his word will not return unto him void. How are we to understand that promise? 
Have you never given a Bible study and people didn't respond to it? Does that mean that God's Word isn't true? Remember this, brothers and sisters, because sometimes God will use you to take a last message of warning to somebody that he knows very well is not going to accept that warning. Sometimes you will be used actually to harden someone's heart. God's word will not return unto him void. It will either soften or harden the heart of the hearer. Think about that. Think about that. Sometimes people get discouraged because they do things and they don't see fruit. Remember, what you're doing might be sowing seed, but also what you're doing, might, God might be using in an unexpected way. Okay? Keep that in mind. Does that mean we shouldn't go out and do it anyway? Think of poor Noah. How many years did he preach? How many converts did he have? For... My, the words that go, that f so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. God's word will have an impact upon everyone that hears it. The creative energy that called forth the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power. It begets life. Every command is a promise accepted by the will, returned, received into the soul. It brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. Education 126. So Bible study ABCs. We like ABCs, right? Bible study ABCs. Present Jesus first. Everything that you teach should be bathed in the light of the cross. Everything. And if you've been teaching and haven't do it, done, done it that way, then I advise you to, to redo your thinking a little bit, or a lot. Everything that we present should be presented in the light of the cross. Amen? Amen? Present Jesus first. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, said Jesus, will draw all men unto me. John 12, 32, it's a promise. The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts when the mere reiteration of doctrine would accomplish nothing, says the Desire of Ages, page 826. So, could this be a statement that you say, that you could envision yourself saying in a Bible study? What I'm offering you is Christ. He is the one who can, fill in the blank, who can transform your marriage. He is the one that can reconcile you with your father. He is the one that you should commit your finances to. He is the one, no matter what it is, whatever their problem is that you've discovered, can you not fill their problem into that blank? So we want to present Christ first. What's the B in the ABCs? <laughs> Reveal truth gradually. We touched on that before. 
Well, let's go just a little bit more into detail about that right now. Uh, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth, what? More and more. Does more and more imply some kind of a progression, right? It does. More and more unto the perfect day. Right, let's say you've been in a cave. You've been in darkness. You've been in a cave for years, and someone comes in and shines a giant spotlight right into your eyes. <laughs> what would happen? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be productive, would it? It would blind you. Are people not caught up in various degrees of spiritual blindness? And if you shine a giant spotlight by trying to reveal too much truth too soon, isn't that kind of the same thing? Indeed it is. So, allow people's spiritual eyesight to adjust to the light before you proceed with additional light. The assimilation of many new ideas at once knocks people off their balance. There's actually a name for that, it's called dissonance, okay? When we hear something that's new, what is it that we try to do in our brain? We try to fit it into something we already know. We try to use what we already consider to be truth and then expand that into this new thing. But what if that can't happen? What if you share with somebody something that they can't adjust or reconcile with what they have thought to be truth in the past? That's what creates this friction. And you have to be careful with that and you have to be patient with that, okay? It's the inability to make things fit the inability to put it all together. Many new ideas at once brings this friction uh, between the new idea and the natural tendency to cling to what is familiar. So how can we minimize this friction? How can we reduce this problem of dissonance? Well, by progressing in a step-by-step -step fashion. We need to make sure that a person will absorb one doctrine before we go on to the next one. Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If we think about it. But for those of you that have been engaged in Bible studies, can you think of times when you didn't really follow that pattern? I will put my arm up. It helps to harmonize the new idea with something the person already believes, and that is why truth is progressive. You see, that is why we have to build foundations for truth before we come up to these testing truths. We build a foundation in our studies. And again, present every doctrine through Christ. Make regular appeals, ask questions. What do you think about this? Is this new information to you? Have you ever encountered this before? Do you have any questions? Can you think of a Bible text that uh, kind of describes what's going on in your mind right now? You know, various, uh, there's all kinds of ways. And what did we tell you earlier? 
tell Bible stories, right? To help reinforce their convictions. Use Bible promises to help strengthen their conviction. Make regular appeals. So you're there presenting information. They're there making decisions based upon that information, right? Now, if you're up at the top of the stairs, but they're down at the bottom, is that a problem? <laughs> That's a problem. So little decisions lead to big decisions. So help people make one step and then make that next step and then make that next step. You're progressing with the decision making and you're progressing with sharing truth. All right. How do we structure a Bible study? Well, my suggestion pretty strongly is you have one Bible study a week. Um, remember that uh, AFCO testimony that I was telling you about where the fellows did the five-hour Bible study? They went back the next night, did a second study. That was the end of it. How many of what we've talked about, these principles of doing things progressively and slowly are violated by trying to have Bible studies too close together? If it takes time for people to reduce that friction and that dissonance and takes time for them to unlearn something so that they can learn something new, why do we want to compound that by having too frequent studies? That probably wouldn't be productive, would it? My recommendation is one hour or less per week. Now, by less, I mean less than an hour. I don't mean less than a week. Okay, so a one-hour study at the maximum, one time per week. That would be one lesson a week. Uh, as we talked about before, my recommendation is let the student read from their own Bible. Doesn't matter what version they're using. Remember, I had recommendations for what version you use, but let them read from their own Bible and uh, let them read the texts. Help them to see that the text answers the question, perhaps. But again, if they don't see it in that particular text, just take them to another one. Um, look up the text with them, okay? Begin the lesson by reviewing and asking questions about the previous study. Ask a question. I like this format where you ask a question, then you go to the Bible for the answer. To me, that's powerful. But you are, how many of you were in this, the last thing that occurred here, the conflict resolution seminar? How many of you were here? Yeah, the teacher better raise his hand. <laughs> okay, he talked about something that kind of goes along with this, right? Ask a question and go to the Bible for the answer. So by asking a series of questions, what can you do? You lead people toward understanding something, okay? And it becomes their own, they think it's their own conclusion. Now in reality, it's not. They're being led by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I've seen this a lot where somebody will see something, they reject following it, 
and very shortly thereafter, they don't see it anymore, which is evidence they didn't see it in their own mind in the first place. It was something that was spiritually revealed to them. And once they've, they shut their mind out to the Holy Spirit on that subject, they can silence the voice. They don't see it anymore. Now, um, one of the things Gary Gibbs used to say all the time, you can't force a horse to drink, right? But you can salt the oats. And that's always stuck with me. You can salt the oats at the end of every lesson, salt the oats, make them thirsty for the next lesson. Make the lesson sound appealing and like they're really going to enjoy it, okay? And when you're doing a Daniel and Revelation Bible study, that's pretty easy to do anyway because they're so all the lessons are so exciting. Um, salt the oats and open and close with prayer. As we near the close of this world's history, the prophecies recorded by Daniel demand our special attention as they relate to the very times in which we are living. With them should be linked the teachings of the last book of the New Testament scriptures. And the book of Daniel in connection with the book of, the book of Revelation in connection with the book of Daniel especially demands study. Let every God-fearing teacher consider how most clearly to comprehend and to present the gospel that our Savior came in person to make known to his servant John. And when the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. One thing will certainly be understood from the study of Revelation, that the connection between God and his people is what? Close and decided. These two books should be carefully studied. Read Revelation in connection with Daniel. Teach these things. Now, because I, <laughs> I elected to have several of those quotes, what do you guess my recommendation is going to be as a potentially good subject to study in your Bible studies? But Daniel and Revelation. Now, part of why I make that recommendation is because there's a tremendous thirst out there for the study of prophecy. Even by people who will scoff and say, well, who can know what's the truth? I've heard so many different theories. I'm not really interested. But when they see it open before their eyes where text upon text and it makes sense and it fits together and it explains things, they get a thirst for it and they want to keep going. And what I found as a tremendous advantage with a Daniel and Revelation type format as opposed to a topical type Bible study. Often when you're doing a topical Bible study, when someone gets to what I call a testing truth and they can't accept it, they just drop out. And what I found with the Daniel and Revelation series, even when there's testing truths, they'll keep studying. They love the studies so much, they just keep on coming. Now, there might be other explanations for that because also with this, I go much slower than I used to go when I did topical Bible studies. By the fourth, fifth lesson, you're already into some testing truths with the typical Bible study series. 
with this Daniel and Revelation series, you're, you've been with them for 30 weeks, 34 weeks before you get to the first testing truth. That's time to build a really strong relationship with the person. So that might be also part of the explanation why, why I haven't experienced people dropping off uh, once they get to testing truths as frequently as before. So here's the format I follow. Um, Daniel 1 through 12 in 14 lessons. I take Daniel 2, I do that in two lessons, Daniel 7 in two lessons, Revelation 10 through 22 in 20 lessons. Like there's three lessons in, in uh, Revelation 12, and there's like four lessons in Revelation 13, and there's a couple lessons in Revelation 16. Uh, I just said 34 lessons. I was wrong. It says 19 lessons before there's any testing truths. Um, and then when I'm done with that, then I take somebody through a topical Bible study series. So part of what I've done is transition from quick Bible studies over a short period of time to much, much longer studies. Um, sometimes I've studied with somebody for two years. So let's think about, in the few minutes we have left, how you might go about structuring a Daniel Bible study. In Daniel 1, what's the subject? What's, gonna, what's the, stu the, the study going to be about? Okay, good. Okay, good. Faith, very good. Choosing to follow God. Very good. I applaud you. No one said it's about diet. It's about diet. It is about diet, but when you're doing your very first Bible study with somebody, do you want to do it on diet? No. No. Remember, what we want to do is we want to discuss things that we have in common with the person we're studying with, right? So we're not going to study diet in our very first lesson with them, are we? No. Right. So I like, I like a lot of your suggestions out here. There's a, a key word in, in Daniel chapter 1, and it's gave. Okay. That's right. God gave uh, Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Why did he do that? Well, that's what Jeremiah is all about, right? Um, so that could be a topic you could go off on. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you, if you think about these captives, this 18-year-old kids, they come into a city after having been forced march for 1,400 miles and probably with little to eat or drink. Perhaps they saw their parents slaughtered in front of them while they were still in Jerusalem. They probably had some kind of crude sur surgical procedure done, okay, to be, to, to be in the court of the king. Uh, you had to have this procedure. And now they get there to, uh, to, to that city, and they go under that gate, 
and there's all this splendor, and now the king is wanting to give them food from his own table and his own wine, and, and they're supposed to be educated at the University of Babylon for three years, and I mean, wow, they're given new names, and why? He wants to reprogram them, right? These are young people. They're malleable, in his model anyway. And so he thinks by taking everything away from them and then being the provider of everything that they need, that's part of the reprogramming effort. Why giving them new names? See, that's consistent with that. So you can lead the person on a talk about how Satan tries to give us things in order to change our value system. This is what Babylon tends to do, right? There's all kinds of different avenues you can see that you can go on with this line of thinking, right? Now, a key verse in my estimation is verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Somebody back there said that, okay? That word purposed if you look at the original language, it's the same word that's interpreted gave elsewhere. So it's consistent with this key word of gave, okay? See how you can tie that into John 3.16? God gave. Nebuchadnezzar gave so that he could almost forcibly retrain them. God gave so that we could choose to serve. Big difference. There's a whole bunch of lessons. Daniel 1 is chock-a-block full of wonderful lessons. You can go in all kinds of different directions. And you can make keys for each lesson, okay, and build upon them and use them. Daniel 2, what's the lesson there? That's the one I split into two lessons. <laughs> really good. That's a great one. That's right. What else? Okay? God's got this. Okay? As a result of their faithfulness, then God was able to do something special in Daniel 2. You can, you can follow that line of thought. Okay? But before they got the answer to the, to the dream, what happened? They had a little prayer meeting, right? They had to pray. All right? So we, in Daniel 1, the key is giving my heart to God. That's how I establish my connection to heaven. In Daniel 2, it's how do I maintain that connection? It's through prayer and Bible study. I have to communicate with my Savior in order to have a relationship with Him. It's like any relationship. If my wife and I never talked, or if only she talked, sometimes that's the case. <laughs> but it, it needs two-way communication, right? Okay. So we talk to God through prayer. He talks to us through His Word, right? It's a two-way communication. It's how we build a relationship. That, so that's, we, we make our connection to heaven by giving our hearts. We maintain it through prayer and Bible study. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Okay? In the second part, you go through the prophecy. Okay? And Maybe the key to that could be how studying prophecy strengthens your faith. So how can you strengthen your connection to heaven? Through the study of prophecy. You've got three keys now. 
You've done two chapters in Daniel, and you've got three keys that are very practical to the person, right? And each of those keys, you can ask commitment questions related to. Can you not? Yeah. This is, every one of you can throw your own lesson together, and it can be, you can, can be completely fighting in your own armor. It can be, fit your own personality, what you think, and just ask questions. Have a Bible text that answers the question. Ask another question. Have a Bible text that answers the question. It's not very hard, is it? Daniel 3, you can do some wonderful things with Daniel 3. Um, how did these three Hebrew young men, how did they remain so faithful to God? There's an interesting thing that they say when they're responding to the king when he says, well, do you want an another chance? And they say, well, we don't really need to really think this through. We don't really need another chance. God will deliver us from your hand. They're quoting from the book of Jeremiah, a promise not to be afraid of the king of Babylon. Mm -hmm. These young men had studied and memorized God's promises. So there's your next key. Memorizing and claiming God's promises from Daniel 3. And the other really cool thing about Daniel 3 is all of the parallelism between Daniel 3 and Revelation 13, right? Those of you that have seen that, you're shaking your heads. It's really, it's really thrilling when you first see that, isn't it? Tremendous parallels. And, and that really, people get excited when they see that. So we've got Daniel 1, Daniel 2a, how to stay connected to heaven, Daniel 2b, uh, how to establish and strengthen your faith, study prophecy, uh, Daniel 3, memorizing and claiming God's promises. What about Daniel 4? Maybe asking for and living in the spirit. Okay, Daniel 5. Uh, why did God treat Nebuchadnezzar's grandson differently than he did Nebuchadnezzar? Because when Nebuchadnezzar, when truth was given to Nebuchadnezzar, he acted upon it. His son, in spite of knowing all of that same truth, he rejected it. Okay? So your key could be acting immediately on truth. And see how you're giving concrete, practical lessons out of a prophetic book, but it's something they can take home and live now by, right? And yet, at the same time, what are you doing? You're building a foundation for further truth, right? Acting immediately on truth. What's that all about? Why, why is that included? It's kind of self-explanatory. Daniel 6, being sealed by God and used by him. The king sealed that rock. But God disregarded that, right? He protected him. Okay? Being sealed by God. Daniel 7, allowing God to change me. Here's some other personal applications through the rest of Daniel. See how Daniel might be a really beautiful fit for you. I commend it. I'm not opposed to thematic Bible study or Bible marking. I've tried Bible marking, and it's actually pretty cool, too. But I really like this the best. By the way, a couple people have come to me and asked if they could have the slides. Um, write down my 
email address. I'm glad to send you the, anyone the slides. Um, my email address is my last name in consonants, my first name in consonants, at yahoo.com. So it's KSR for Kaiser, STV for Steve, KSR, STV, at yahoo.com. I'm glad to send these to you. Or a PDF if you don't have PowerPoint. Or this, this is actually a keynote. Uh, in Daniel 12, you know, you're linking that with Revelation 10 and you start studying about the great disappointment. And so one of the things I like to do in finishing off Daniel is going through each chapter and showing how what might have initially seemed like a disappointment actually was God's appointment. Is that powerful? Is that powerful? Yeah. How to find Bible studies. I got this question at lunch. Number of different ways, but one of which is pray for divine appointments. Ask your pastor or personal ministries leader for leads. Call the media ministries. They are happy to provide you with leads. Um, at Amazing Facts, we had a person who, uh, I, I don't know how many hours a week they worked on this, but it was, that was their job, is when somebody would make an inquiry, they would run all of the Bible, uh, Bible school students through and uh, by zip code, and they would give names and addresses as leads. Uh, take advantage of that, that they're willing to do that. Um, and Amazing Facts isn't the only media ministry that will do that. Uh, call your local literature evangelist and ask for leads. Send out something wonderful cards. Do a class or a seminar, uh, a very effective means of gaining Bible studies that my wife uses is she'll do a vegan cooking school. And she aver advertised it in a social media app. I think it's called Nextdoor or, I'm not sure. What's it called? Nextdoor. Nextdoor? Okay. Um, she, she'll advertise it in, that, in there and uh, she'll generally get 10 to 18 people. And I don't think she's ever done it, but what she hasn't had Bible studies that came out that have come out of it. So if she has male interests, she just gives those to me. She does the females and just the Bible schools or the uh, cooking schools keeps us with Bible studies. Um, but you don't need to limit it to that. Let's say uh, you're a mechanic. Uh, so hold a class at your, at your church and uh, so how to change oil on your car, how to save money. Or let's say you have an MBA and you know business and so you do a you know, personal finances class at church. Um, these kinds of special things, you, you can strike up conversations afterwards, develop friendships that many times will turn into Bible studies, okay? Um, this is the hardest one. <laughs> I put it at the end. Uh, spiritual interest surveys. Now, I probably don't sell this very well because I hate to do them. And like I said, when my wife and I were matched up at AFCO and we were out doing spiritual interest surveys, I'd make her do the first several before I would participate. I'm, she's an extrovert and I'm an introvert. So it doesn't come naturally to me to do that, but in spite of the fact I hate doing it, I can tell you 
that if you spend four hours doing spiritual interest surveys, you will find two Bible study interests or more. Now, one of those won't pan out. But for four hours, you find one Bible study? That's kind of like a no-brainer. If you don't have any other way of doing a Bible, getting a Bible study, do it. Go do a spiritual interest study, okay? All you got to do is make up a series of questions. Uh, do you consider yourself a Christian? Uh, do you mind sharing uh, what denomination you're a part of? Um, have you found the Bible to be uh, a reliable guidebook? Uh, I'm just making it up as I go. See how you can easily make up one, and, and you could say, well, have you ever uh, had an interest in Bible prophecy? If you had an opportunity to have someone explain Bible prophecy to you, would you have an interest in that? If they say yes, you had a Bible study right then and there. Okay, when would you like to get together? Now, I advise the men not to study with the women and vice versa, okay? And even in group studies, I studied with a woman by the name of Carmen, but it, when it started, started, it was way, way away from where I lived, and I didn't want my wife to have to go there. So I did it, but it was three women. So I felt okay about it. What I didn't anticipate is two of them dropping out. So I wind up doing a Bible study with this woman. Um, praise the Lord. We finished it. She got baptized. There were no issues, but it wasn't very wise of me. My recommendation is if it's a woman, find somebody else in the church that is interested in doing Bible studies, pass that Bible study along to that person. Spiritual interest studies work. All right, what we were coming to next is overcoming obstacles to decisions. But we've come to the end of our time. So let me just pause for just a brief moment. Does anybody have a burning question? And if not, then I'm glad to talk to anyone afterwards if you have any remaining questions. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.